What do you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hey everybody, it's Tracy here, and you are listening to Say Yes to Spirit. Just say yes. Say yes to spirit. Are you ready to do that? Well, of course you are. Otherwise, you would not be listening to today's show. So Leslie and I started Say Yes to Spirit about four years ago, actually, a little more than four years ago, and it came from an idea of us saying yes to spirit, and how can we encourage ourselves to do that and support each other in doing that and What does it mean, anyway, to say yes to spirit? Is that an internal thing? Is it an external thing? How can people know that you have made a commitment to say yes to spirit? And so what we have been doing for the last uh, four-plus years is gathering on a regular basis and just having conversations about all kinds of topics and what it means to say yes to spirit in relationship to that topic. And so um, so we're glad that you joined us today. And uh, we always try to start near the early, in the early part, early few minutes of each episode of Say Yes to Spirit with um, connecting the dots with our current theme, which is mind and body, with our most recent theme, which is which was soul. So today we'll be getting into mind and body and uh, the mind and body connection or the difference between mind and body. Who knows where we'll go with mind and body. But last time we talked about soul. So when you hear the Connect the Dots theme song, you know... <laughs> that it is time for us to connect the dots. So, Leslie? (laughs) And it's my favorite thing. We all know that. You know, it's so funny to think about those connecting the dots, obviously. You always hear those three words together, right? Mind, body, and soul. And I love what you said a minute ago about, you know, when we're saying yes to spirit, what is that? Is that Is that a mind thing? Is that a soul thing? Is that a body thing? How am I expressing that? Or do I do it through all all three at the same time? But the mind-body-soul connection is something that's such an obvious connected us. But um, it's funny, being a trauma survivor, we talk a lot about being disconnected from our body. And um, I'll be very interested to talk more about that as our time today goes on. But I do think that my connection to my, my connection, that, you know, my awareness, my being with soul is the thing that opens up, you know, everything else. So I'm excited about, why am I excited about talking about the body? There you go. That's that's progress for Leslie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hang with us for the next minute or so. Listen to some music, grab some coffee or tea or water, and we'll be right back after this short break.
Welcome back. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit with Leslie and Tracy. And today our theme is mind and body. And, you know, it is a little, um, uh, maybe obvious is not the word, but it's the word that comes to mind um, that, you know, we talked about soul last time. That phrase mind, body, and soul does actually get triggered. So um, it may be no surprise that we would uh, end up or land on mind and body next. And Ernest Holmes once said, my body is a temple of the living spirit. It is a spiritual substance. And so when I think about if soul is the living spirit and my body is a temple of that, and my body is also a spiritual substance. And uh, there's a Japanese proverb that says, the mind is hope. The body gets. (laughs) So, I don't know. You don't know? Oh, well, so I don't know. I mean, that's as good a place (laughs) as any to start. Right, right. Well, and and thinking about the idea that, you know, we, science of mind, say the phrase a lot that we are God expressing individually through as only God can express through us. So that kind of makes a function to the body. Um, and it is a fascinating thing to think about. You know, as human beings, we're so connected to our bodies. One of the things that always fascinates me is, you know, there's so many different body types and so many different ways the physical body expresses itself, yet certainly in America we have kind of this idealized body image issue that seems to be prevalent and the more people try to focus on changing their physical body in order to feel more secure or feel more accepted or feel more a part of and you know it's always such an extraordinary thing where you see the you know the overweight actress becoming popular you know and they focus so much on the fact that you know oh this fat person became famous oh how you know exciting that is you know instead of just sort of accepting that bodies come in all shapes, it, you know, it, it, it's so strange to me that we have to celebrate that the fat actress became popular. Because we have to constantly be referencing, you know, the, the, you know, the fact that her body looks different than the other actresses that we're used to seeing on screen, and that seems to just perpetuate the idea that, that uh, you know, there is one physical image that is more pleasant to the eye than the other. That's, that's, uh, that's always a ponder to me. And all of that is really kind of silly when we think about the the body size and sizes and shapes that are are recognized are as are assumed are the norm are very much the exception. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. The actresses, right. the performers, they're really the exception. You don't you don't find many people in your everyday experience, you know, that are size zero or size one and five foot ten and, uh, you know, uh, you just don't. That's not typical, but we act as if it is. Right. As if it's the goal for everyone. Well, no, that's ridiculous. And I know I've told this story a couple of different times, but I remember years ago I used to do um, I used to do marketing or sales for hospice, and uh, I was during a time that I was really sort of discovering this idea of how I'm energetically feeling about myself plays to those around me, and, and I would do these little experiments during the day where I would, before I would go into a hospital or go into a place where I was going to be talking to people about my hospice that I had never talked to, you know, sort of a cold call, and I would sit in my car and I would energetically kind of through my thoughts say, you know, people want to know what I have to say, you know, I'm interesting, people want to help me, people are engaged by me, you know, and I would fill myself with this sort of energetic sense of people wanting what I had 
and then I would walk into this place that I'd never been, and and I would have this experience of people, you know, can I help you? What do you need? Who do you need to see? And when I would see the person, they would be engaged in conversation with me. And then I would sit in the car before I went to the next place and say, you know, oh, God, this is horrible. You know, they've seen 17 hospice reps already today. They have no interest in me. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. Who even came up with the concept of trying to sell hospice? That seems counterintuitive. And you know, I would fill myself with that energy, and I would just walk into the place, and I would be totally blocked. Like, people would be like, you know, look, make eye contact with me, and then just keep walking. And I did this enough in that time when I was kind of toying with this idea that I really came to understand that it's not my, what I'm wearing, it's not my physical body that people respond to. It's literally this energetic sense that they're catching from within me that is either causing them to engage with me or not. And so if my if I allow my body image to create my body, you know, my self-talk and my belief about myself, then that's what causes me to be this quote-unquote unattractive person that nobody wants to be around or my my language and my mind and my belief system creates this image that people want to be around me. It's really not my physical body and I've got so clear on that when I was doing that. It was really fascinating. Yeah, that, that's that was a great example. I like it. Every time you share it, I go, oh, yeah, what a great reminder. And, and I know on this topic, too, as we began to talk, I, I remembered that, you know, this, too, is another example for me of growing up in the time that I did during the Civil Rights Movement, growing up African-American, um, I think I would be certifiably insane at this stage of my life if I had not received the messages very young in life that what quote-unquote society describes or defines as, you know, the image. The beautiful woman. Right, or, right, the beautiful woman, or even just, you know, who can do what in the world, mm-hmm. um, who you should look to for answers, um, you know, pe- people who fit any of those standards didn't look like me. Stereotypes, right? Right. They, I mean, these were like the standards for society, but they didn't look like me. So I would have felt completely unvalidated or invalidated and discounted. But I had people around me who, from a very young age, said, you know, it's a both and, that you may not see people who are black, but that doesn't mean you can't do it because you have a unique set of qualities and skills and who knows what you're supposed to do in the world, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and back before, in, you know, I grew up, before you could find black doll, dolls or storybooks with black characters in, you know, in the regular wow. store, you know, to say nothing of the fact that there was no Barnes and Noble or mm. Borders or anything then, but even in independent bookstores, I mean, you know, in different cities, I mean, there were no black, there were, were not black greeting cards. Mm-hmm. But I always grew up with getting, receiving black dolls or storybooks because I guess unbeknownst to the dominant or mainstream culture, there were a few um, distributors, the few companies that actually did make products, mm. and they were sold like like Avon. I mean, you know, they were sold they were by individual underground distributors, mm-hmm. and they would place the orders and you know mail order, and mm. then they would be shipped to you, mm. and you know, and so. So there's always that piece that was happening for me that was affirming, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it wasn't always very obvious mm-hmm. that that's what was happening. You know, there is no way. 
for me to have an understanding of what that experience is to be a black person and to walk into, you know, quote unquote, a high end store. You know, people always, I think they, you know, they'll do, uh, gosh, one of those TV shows that are so interesting and silly in a strange way. But you know, when they take white families and they, you know, put them in black makeup and have them walk around and see what that experience is. So there's really no way that a that a white person can understand that energetically, um, but as a as a gay person, I'm fascinated with this idea that that I just assume people know that I'm gay, but they don't, you know, necessarily. So it's not the same experience. I remember I had a therapist once that said, you know, it'd be nice if all the gay people had like green hair or something when we came out, so that people would a know that we're everywhere, and <laughs> b you know that that there would be sort of that there wouldn't be that that um, illusion, I guess, that that we can stay closeted or you know not have people know the truth of who we are. But it is um, fascinating how we make judgments, how we make assertions about people based on you know the color of their skin, what they're wearing, how we you know people used to <laughs> my my mother used to uh, she probably still does um, sort of connect to this idea. Somebody told me once, you know, look at people's shoes. If you look at their shoes, you could know, you know, A, if they have money, B, <laughs> like, isn't, that, isn't that a fascinating thing that we could, you know. You know, there, there probably was some <laughs> element, some element at some point in time of truth related to that. But I have to laugh because in this day and age, everybody wears flip-flops. You're round, right? But I get, I imagine um, there are certain brands of flip-flops that I guess have more prestige than others, but it's so different now. I mean, you know, compared to um, how, how it was a generation ago. And how people try to, I guess, quote-unquote, make up for what we perceive as lack or not good enough or whatever in our bodies by dressing in a certain way or by, um, I can remember a particularly horrible haircut that I had when I was like in college or something. This was back in the day when I used to wear lots of makeup. Can you imagine that? I know it's hard to believe now. I know it's hard to believe. But, um, and I can never, I'll never forget my roommate's mother at the time. I want pictures. Thank you so much. I I don't think I I can. I see them all the way. Yeah, yeah, literally. But um, I remember my roommate's mother, I don't know why she was in town, but when I came home with this, what I perceived, and obviously she must have agreed, was a bad haircut because she was like, oh, you can just make up, you know, use some different eyeshadow and, you know, people will be pulled into your eyes and, you know, they won't be looking at you like, oh, my God. And there's really nothing worse than, you know, feeling like you look bad and then someone having engaging in a conversation affirming, oh, yeah, you do look horrible, so let's see what else we can do to make up for this <laughs> It's like, wow, 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 you know. That's funny. That is funny. And it's interesting, too, working in the jail. I work around, obviously, 64 women who, you know, have no access to makeup, and they're all dressed exactly the same. And, you know, you, can, you, they, you know, there's a shower, and there's no hair blowers. There's no there's no way to, you know, you are just who you are. And I, and I am often um, impressed by how that, levels the playing field for their relationships or their connections to be made more authentically because they're they don't have that um external to hide behind so they and so they have that sort of raw vulnerability on some level and also they're not comparing each other to you know who has what kind of shoes and who has what kind of and also how it kind of just makes us all connect on an emotional level and on a spirit level and then it's interesting, though, because I live in a part of town, thank you very much, that many of the women tend to go home to. So I'll see them, in, like in the grocery store or at the Starbucks or at the subway, and they'll inevitably recognize me, right, because I look like me. But they look so different to me when they come up and they have the makeup and they have the clothes and all this, and I'm like, wow, I would not recognize you, you know. And it is... Um, it is fascinating how the trapestry, the whatever, the, you know, the external, we dress up. What would happen if we were, were they naked? And they were naked in the Adam and Eve, weren't they? <laughs> you know, if we all just walked around naked, you know, and no makeup, 
Tracy's closing her eyes. <laughs> just the idea, just is very upsetting. But, you know, this idea that our bodies somehow have to be, you know. Our bodies just are what they are. Yeah, that they're just not good enough as are that Yeah, that we say that's an ugly body and that's a pretty body. <laughs> yeah, that's just That's crazy. an attractive body. That's an unattractive mm-hmm. body. That, you know, regardless of the weight or the color or the size mm-hmm. or the shape, Bottom line, and and I am I am not there yet. But bottom line, truly saying yes to spirit, mm-hmm. <coughs> I can see the beauty in everybody, in every body. Right. I can see that there is beauty because the, the body, body is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm you know just like almost every other human being on the planet. You know, that my gut reaction, based on whatever I've been exposed to culturally, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, well, that body's better. Or that person's, you know, we use that phrase, that person's in better shape, (laughs) right? Right. Or the friend, um, I have a friend who's in his 50s, and he, actually, I have four or five, eight or nine friends who are in their (laughs) 50s who work out. If not every day, you know, they're in the gym at least five days a week, if not seven. And and it is, you know, they get they get remarks all the time at how it's amazing the shape, quote unquote, how, what good shape their body is in. One, the first person who I was thinking about before all the other examples started coming into my mind is actually a competitive bodybuilder. Oh wow. And so, of course, in his age group, mm-hmm. 50 and above, number one, there's a lot less competition than there was at 30. <laughs> and, you know, he's really an exception. But but it's like that, oh, that's what everybody should do. Mm-hmm. And then the person who's 50 pounds overweight mm-hmm. gets ignored or discounted or criticized mm-hmm. or judged. Right. Well, really... What is the physical body? It really is simply a home, something to carry Mm -hmm. you around in, right? Because you, the soul, the eternal part of you is formless. Mm -hmm. It has to have a form Mm -hmm. in which to travel the human experience. Mm -hmm. And it is... um, that, that kind of obvious connection that, you know, we take our bodies for granted until something happens and then we, you know, can't move or we can't move as freely or, you know, things that we take for granted become not there. And um, so sort of being self-critical, and I, you know, I was talking about trauma survivors disconnecting from our bodies. And I can clearly remember, and I still vacillate in and out of this, you know, there's a real... Thing that happens where trauma survivors kind of live from the neck up in, in a protective way we disconnect or dissociate from our physical bodies so we don't really have an awareness that oh I have arms and legs and I have you know sexual parts of my body that get you know excited in various things and you know it's a protective kind of thing for trauma survivors so to reconnect with my body and trauma survivors percentage wise have a lot more um, you know body image issues and um, you know, anxiety around um, looking at, and I am heavier now than I've ever been probably in my life, but I have always, and I look back to pictures when I was in high school or something, and I was skinny, but in my mind in high school, I was every bit as quote-unquote fat as I am now, so I've never really had a period of my life where I felt like, oh, I looked, oh, I look good, oh, I'm, you know. And, you know, now I look back and I think, why didn't I think I was looking good then? Because, you know, I was looking good then, but now, good Lord, you know, so I'm thinking, well, you know, when I'm 70, you know, I'm going to look back and go, oh, you look really good at 50, Leslie. So, you know, it, it, but it just doesn't matter what, even what I really look like if I'm not telling myself that, you know, that I'm beautiful and that, you know, I have this amazing body that, you know, is serving me. What you shaking well, your head no, for? What you just what you just triggered by that comment was uh, well several things, but 
So you, everybody who listens regularly knows I'm a roller skater. Uh-huh. I roller skate all the time on a regular basis. And what you just said really hit me because there are some women who roller skate who are very large women. Mm. And I mean, and they are really good skaters. Wow! And they're creative, and they're and they're, you know, they are moving their body. They can they can manipulate their body to do all sorts of extraordinary things. Yeah. And and it's clear um, as you were talking, two women in particular came to mind because I regularly, when I see them, I. One of them, I think, you know, it's so clear that she knows she's sexy. Mm. That mm-hmm. she she's a big woman, but mm-hmm. she is comfortable in her body mm-hmm. and the way she dresses mm-hmm. and the way that she, mm-hmm. um, you know, grooms herself and the clothes that she selects. Mm-hmm. She, she works it. I mean, she you is. know what I mean? Got it. And it's clear it's not an unhealthy thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like, oh, I'm dressing to get attention because I'm not. It's not that. Right. She is sexy from the inside yes. out. Yes. And it is how she carries herself. Right. And the other one, it's it's not, sexy isn't the word that comes to mind in terms of how she seems to perceive herself, but she does seem to perceive herself as beautiful. Mm. And again, it's like it's like what Maya Angelou. Um, I don't, I can't quote "Phenomenal Woman" without like googling it. But in the poem mm-hmm. "Phenomenal Woman," she talks about she has this part that basically says, you know, women and men can't understand why, like, when she steps in a room and all the men's heads turn, you know, that it's not about the size. It's it's that Mm inside-out attitude Mm -hmm. and perception of oneself Mm -hmm. that, you know, makes her this phenomenal woman, Mm -hmm. healthy and vibrant and attractive. And so... So, you know, it, it is interesting, the physical body. And in the last week, two different Facebook friends have, you know, or in the last couple of weeks um, posted, one of them posted a picture of herself and when she was 100 pounds heavier. Mm. And the other one posted a video of herself doing a performance. And she was probably at least 70 pounds heavier than she is now, 70 to 80. And, you know, it's it's that whole thing that you started us off on, like the physical body, what we think of it, what we believe about it, um, affects what we do. And I think it must affect I mean, this is say yes to spirit. What is it that we believe about God operating in us, as us, and through us Mm -hmm. when that contradicts with society's Mm -hmm. message about what's attractive, what's healthy, what's good? Yes, and and I remember part of my trauma work was you know, looking at my legs and saying, oh, I love my legs. Oh, you know, and, you know, looking at my feet and looking in and, and uh, you know, acknowledging, A, acknowledging that I have legs, and B, uh, you know, uh, affirming their their divinity with within their own entities, you know, and the idea of understanding that my body is, perfect as it is and I I know I've also seen it's all about TV shows too I've also seen TV shows where Oprah all things Oprah she would have overweight women on the show and she would talk about this idea that how some women who were very much overweight were perfectly fine with that you know they didn't it didn't bother them they enjoyed their meals they enjoyed their family they enjoyed their lives and you know their their body weight was just a flat line. It was just what it was. 
and then there were women that really identified themselves as these fat women, and it just played on their mind all the time, and that they were, and she would talk about how, you know, those are the people that, you know, if you're continuously focusing on the on the body, we overlook that inner work because it's really not the body that creates the feeling of well-being or not. It's 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 the mind, and you know, going back to the mind and body. So it's it is more. Would that be mind with a little M, Tracy Brown? Yes, <laughs> we have a mind, and I get very confused sometimes. Oh my. So but my mind with a little M and the messages that I'm telling myself and the thoughts that I'm creating are really what makes my physical body something that, you know, I embrace and I love and I can, you know, just say, this is me and I'm great. Or my little M mind um, convinces me that I'm less than or not good enough. Yeah, because my capital M mind is actually spirit okay, right. and is actually saying you are perfect, whole, and complete. I am perfect, whole, and complete. But my lowercase m, uh, driven by my ego and my brain, gives me all of the messages and all of the information based on what it has experienced in its human experience. Um, and all the message, you know, race consciousness or cultural consciousness around what's good or not good. And so, yeah, it is interesting. I, and again, have no idea why certain things pop into my brain at certain moments, but just then what popped into my brain was a conversation that I had with my cardiologist, the, the person who was my, the doctor who was my cardiologist at the time, not currently, um, and I had uh, I'd been having some health challenges, and they decided it was really good. It was really important for me to do a treadmill stress test mm. so that they could evaluate my heart and um, all of that at the time. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. A little um, Stressful for me, as I'm sure it is for many people, but especially with my dad's history of heart disease and my family history beyond my dad. So I go do the stress test, and and I and I do just fine. And um, and we're having this conversation afterwards, and he's looking at all the numbers and the graphs and the charts, and he's saying, you know, yeah, for your age, whatever age I was at the time, um, in my mid mid to late forties. And he's like, yeah, these are really, really great. You, you can tell that you've, like, taken Take care, care of your yourself. body and um, been athletic. He found out that I was a roller skater, mm. of course, because mm-hmm. I talk about it easily and all the time. And he said, yeah, and you need to keep skating because it's really good for your cardio. But, you know, Tracy, you really need to lose um, about no, he didn't say the he didn't say how many pounds. He said you really need to lose weight to be around. I think he said 123, yeah. 125 pounds for your height and that's your age. And blah blah blah. And so I said, oh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the idea. And he said, no, well, I understand how hard it would be <laughs> and blah 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 and. You know, but that's really what I recommend. And I, and I, you know, I didn't think about this first, um, but I looked him straight in the eye and I said, you know, I really appreciate your advice, and I know it's based on the standard tables of, you know, weight and height and age. But I would highly recommend, in order for you to be culturally competent, <laughs> to be so nice. Oh, you got Tracy Brown. In order to be culturally competent, you might want to consider. But as a black woman, that would be way too skinny for me, and that there is no way I will ever agree to lose that much weight. I am way that. I, I weigh more than that. You know, like when, when I was, was eighth grade. Or, or, you know, when I was uh, in my twenties and Ooh. I was in like almost perfect health, 
And and so I am not going to agree with you that that is a goal. Now, we can talk about me losing 20 pounds. Okay, so the, I don't know, the 125 must have been like 30 pounds or 35, and I have a lot of muscle weight. And so, you know, when people thought I weighed 100 pounds, I was weighing like 128 because my legs were solid muscle. Mm. And so people would look at me and think I weighed 125 and I weighed weighing 140. So I don't look as heavy as I weigh, and that's also one of the reasons why I always have to keep exercising because I guess I would look a lot bigger really fast <laughs> if I didn't have muscle weight. But anyway, just having that conversation with him, and he looked at me and, he's, and he just kind of shook his head and said, well, all I, my job is to tell you my best advice. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you're six foot three, you know, and he was. He was six foot three and blonde and thin, and I'm like, you don't get it. You will not inspire me as your patient mm-hmm. if you tell me I have to do something that, number one, I don't agree with, and number two, I think is unrealistic for my body type and my weight. So we have a lot of this. It's that combination of my capital M mind mm-hmm. saying I know what's best for me. I intuitively right. know what my best weight is. Right for my body. And then I have my lowercase mind saying <coughs> but look at the chart. Look at everybody. The charts say that I should be at this weight and the doctor too and you know that doctor went to school for a long time <laughs> and I'm paying him a lot of money, maybe I should do that. And there's that conflict. Right. Right? The conflict between um what I know is right for me and being do I trust that? which luckily, especially around my health, I really do. I trust my inner voice more than anything anybody tells me, doctor or not. You know, um, I don't know who talked to me about this for the first time, but recently I've been introduced to this woman, Lisa, L-I-S-S-A, Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N, and she uh, has this body mind over medicine. And she is a medical doctor who kind of had a medical doctor crisis 10 years ago in terms of understanding or being confronted with this concept of, um, you know, the physical versus the spiritual, the you know, the mind-body-soul connection and how that works together. And when people are, you know, manifesting physical illnesses, you know, what is the emotional um underlying things occurring and she started seeing how especially now with the way insurances are set up and how many patients doctors have to see in order to be able to make you know whatever standard of living they believe they need to make that there's not any kind of personal connection to understand what's going on in people's lives that are presenting with these you know catastrophic illnesses and so she actually got out of the medical field for a period of time and started doing sort of scientific research on you know, illnesses and sort of a Louise Hay kind of idea of how, you know, physical illnesses, you know, manifest comes from different emotional kinds of things. And so she was able to scientifically in this book, Mind Over Medicine, kind of look at and outline how the holistic approach to physical manifestation of illness is um, is so under utilize you know nobody really does it in the medical field a and you know and b how her at the end of the day she came up with you know this understanding that how we think how we feel has much more to do with how our bodies are than you know what we eat or how much we walk or any of that you know because you can be and you hear stories all the time people that have these perfectly shaped bodies and they're perfectly fit and they fall over dead or they have some, you know, something happen to them physically and you think, well, how could that happen? They're so, you know. Right, so why bother? <laughs> That's my idea. That's what I mean by and is, you know, doing affirmations. But, you know, I mean, I know it's all a balance. But it was interesting to read that book and, and, to, and to have a medical doctor, you know, come away with this concept that, you know, we really do need to pay, pay attention to what are our bodies telling us. You know, they are... They are indicators to us, you know, if there's, you know, aches or pains or, you know, something happening that there's an indicator of 
you know, a wake-up call on many different levels. And how many times, you know, people, um, you know, we we have uh, that idea that, you know, if I think I'm sick or I think I'm well, well, and how that works. My my dad had Crohn's disease, which is a very debilitating disease and a very painful disease. And, you know, his mind was always so positive and you know through my growing up years it wasn't till the end of his life that his mind kind of gave into the physical manifestation of it and, and he kind of changed shifted emotionally towards the end but you know all of my growing up years he was in pain so much of the time yet he didn't he didn't express that and I remember at his funeral people talking about that that was the thing that they that they sort of um that they, that they weren't impressed isn't the right word, but they really acknowledged that, you know, they understood that he was in this kind of physical pain, but he always had, he was always the one with a smile on the face and encouraging others, and, and that he didn't allow that to kind of, you know, pull him into sort of the abyss. And so it is interesting how we handle physical situations. And the little mind and the big mind, we haven't talked, yeah, the big mind, the universal mind is the uh, big M mind, right, I guess, and the little... The little devil is the little in mind. Would we call that the devil? <laughs> we call that the ego. You can call it the devil. I, I don't know that I would call it that. I, I just, no, I the, wouldn't call it that. But oh, you're little gremlin inside okay. of us that's going, oh, you can't do that. Ooh, don't listen to them. Ooh, that's not good. Ooh, well, that's scary. I think often that, that voice is also saying what it thinks is, it's saying what it thinks it is. What it perceives is good based on what it's Fear. read. Well, no, based on what it's read or what it's seen in the magazines and on TV. And and that's not a fear thing. That's a, this is, it's like when you program your computer, mm. you know, information in. You, your, your brain is taking all this information in mm-hmm. every waking moment. Mm-hmm. And so it has information that it's just trying to give you. So I don't I don't think it's always feel Oh, let's label it good, bad, right, wrong. I think we should label it. <laughs> so so here's um actually we've talked mostly about the physical body, the physical human body. Um, but what strikes me is also that, so thinking about the science of mind teaching symbol that really allows us to look at um, at the totality of, of experience, we also in that symbol have, of course, body as the representation of the tangible effects or consequences. Ah. And so everything that we experience is like the body of experience, mm. the body of physical form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that sense, it's not just our human body, it's our mm-hmm. life experience. Um, and if we're saying yes to spirit, um, we're looking for our life to reflect the ideal or the intention mm-hmm. that has been set. And when we don't intentionally say yes to spirit, it's that process is still happening. So our life, <laughs> the body of our life, our experience is reflecting mm-hmm. what we really believe, mm-hmm. what we really choose, because mm-hmm. not choosing is choosing. <laughs> right choosing to for the default. Mm-hmm. And so that, too, is when we say body, mind, and soul, we are talking about the physical manifestation of our intentions and thoughts and choices. Because it's a t- teaching symbol, as I uh, faintly remember it. Uh, the bottom is the body or the manifestation, and the middle part, the... The, the the part of where um, creativity occurs is, is considered yes. the, what? Is that considered the mind? No, that's considered the, the what? The one, the one above it is the soul. Well, or the, well the middle is the law, and the actually law. in the symbol it would be the soul, and the top would be spirit, right. spirit, soul, body, or body, 
mind with a capital M would be at the top, body, mind, soul would be the, because it's the formless, receptive, it's the soil in which your seed is planted. You So the seed is the intention, the, the, the mind, capital M mind, the direction, the decision, and that gets planted in the soil, which is always simply saying yes and following that intention, receiving the intentions, and then it births or blooms into the plant, which is the body. The body. See, I like that. It's very nice. be worth Googling because I do think the science of mind, the, the, the cult symbol for the science of mind, which I think is funny. I just had to say that. But anyway, uh, it's worth I'm glad Googling. I'm that you think it's funny. <laughs> So I do think it's science that won't be highly offended, but you know everything. Well, no, people who don't know what science oh, is. Oh, they won't think it's really a cult. Yeah, <laughs> everything's a cult at the end of the day. That has a symbol and a secret handshake. But um, the idea that it'd be fun to Google that for people that don't know it, because it is a good representation. It's you know it's a circle with kind of three levels, and it and it kind of has a V that goes down that kind of shows the idea that this big M, which I would call you know Daddy God. Right, uh, the idea that that uh, you know this big M, you know, then we're coming down, and that this soul, you know, is kind of the creative process of co-creating, and then you know manifesting what I um, actually am living or who I am expressing as this moment. And what's interesting is that can change from moment to moment. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I can really, you know, and I, I know I'm an extraordinary person, but I can shift from, you know, complete darkness to complete light within just eons of seconds, you know, just in, in, in nothing, you know, they'll say this, and what's Michael's last name that did a sermon or did a talk at CSL Dallas about uh, change your thinking, change your life? Michael, oh, come on. I mean, change your thinking, change your life. Who hasn't given a talk on well, change your he thinking, did a, change I mean, your he life? Did, he did it better than the rest. But anyway, so, but... Uh, Could you give me more to go on? He's a black man. That would narrow it down for you. <laughs> Michael, he's written books. He's a, he's a, he's a, you know Local? Him. Yes, CSL Michael Dollar Brundy. Dallas. Michael Bun- Brundy, yes. Okay. Because yes. I was going Michael Bernard Beckwith. Oh, no, 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 Dallas, CSL Dallas. CSL Michael Dallas. Brundy. Michael Brundy. And that would be worth Googling because he did an amazing talk at CSL Dallas about that idea. And that's a very much of a 12-step concept. And I learned that, you know, when I was 19 in Al-Anon, that idea that when I change how I think, you know, everything around me changes, even though nothing around me changes. That it's just such a phenomenon. And that really is changing my, that would be changing my, Little M mind, right? Because the big M mind simply is, right? It's, it's just ising. It's not changing. It's just ising. So what I'm shifting is my little case M mind, right? Change my thinking, change my life. It would be my small M mind. Yes. Thank you. I just wanted to be right. So, uh, but and, and that concept of, you know, how that how all of this thinking to me, you know, the idea of the soul just sort of trumps it. You know, if I'm if I'm in that flow, then I, um, you know, my little case M and my body are just um, expressing that truth that, you know, if I'm being with a capital B, you know, all the rest of it just kind of works itself out. Well, because, yeah, then it is simply unfolding exactly as it's supposed to. So there's really nothing to... Nothing to do. Nothing to to learn. It's interesting. Um, uh, there was a guest speaker at uh, Center, for Spiritual, uh, Center for Spiritual Living Dallas recently, who wrote that book, 11 Days in May, and he talked about having this experience physically and then going on this kind of spiritual odyssey or journey of, you know, talking to all these um, spiritual Zen people that live in the, walk the human earth now. And um, in talking with someone this morning, she had gone with me to hear him, and she said she was so... What she took away from that was that 
everything that he was saying, she intuitively already knew. Yet she had had this feeling that she needed to go on sort of that spiritual odyssey tour, that she needed to, you know, not, you know, travel the world like he did, but read the books or, you know, look online and watch the videos. And she said what she took away with from was, you know, I don't really need to do that. I just need to trust what I know. I just need to be. And isn't that a fascinating thing, how much time I have spent and how much money I have given to, you know, reflect or have somebody else say, oh, yes, Leslie, you're right, or have some external affirmation, oh, what you think is correct. Why Why is it that I can't just know what I know? You know, why do I have to constantly be looking? You, oh, smart one, oh, wise one, oh, Oprah, you tell me that what I know is right. I mean, I just love listening to the uh, Soul Series on Sunday because it's just feeding me, oh, I'm right, oh, I'm right, oh, I'm right. I'm like, what the heck? And I think last week, really, I had this moment where I was listening to something and I was like, turn it off. I don't need to be hearing anybody else telling me I'm right. I need to be doing what I'm here to do. So listen to your music, you know, spend time on whatever, you know, this this thing that I want to do in my life. But it's amazing how much, and how much more affirming can spirit, I can just see God, Daddy God, you know, looking at God. How much more do you need? Oh, my gosh. Just get on with it. Right? Right? <laughs> Tracy loves it when I say Daddy God. Ooh. I do think that they do look kind of on the other side of the veil and they kind of say, you know, oh, come on. There it is. No veil. <laughs> and it's to understand that reaction. Please, if you did not hear our show on the veil, just go look it up in the archives. You know, 30 minutes of Leslie explaining the veil and 30 minutes of Tracy saying, but there is no, no veil. Somehow the energy on the other side does whatever. The energy I can't see, whatever language I need to say, is saying to me, come on, Leslie, go on. You don't need you any already more. know this. You don't need any more be affirming. It. Just be it. Right, right, right. You already know this, now be it. That really is what Say Yes to Spirit is all about. Yes, right, right. I know that spirit exists. I know that spirit exists in, as, and through me. I know that this life is simply a life that exists so that God can experience the human mm-hmm. experience as me. So just say yes to being guided by spirit, right? And and live your way, live your life in a way that is guided by spirit, not by human, not by you know, not by man, not by Lilium. But by God. By God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like authored by God. Mm-hmm. And I do think, you know, different people have different um, experiences, life experiences that opens up this language, this idea. And that is one of the fascinating things about working in the jail. Most of these women have never had a language presented to them or information given to them that this is even a possibility, you know. Right. And so that is a really, um, that is a really humbling, I don't like even that word, but, you know, that is a really um, awe-inspiring moment to to have a language that's just so common to me to be seen by someone for the first time and to watch that kind of that kind of spark that happens when because that truth is truth is truth and you know people that um, don't even understand why they're responding to it will respond to it because it's connecting on a truth you know on a higher level and there's um, one of the things that we've recently begun in our program is called a mentoring program and it's where we're connecting volunteers with women when when they go on to um, in, the, in Texas, there's a treatment facility called Wilmer where um, people who have be seen by the courts as needing drug treatment, that's where they go, is a place called Wilmer. So we're connecting um, women that go to Wilmer with volunteers, and one of our volunteers at uh, our program goes to the Center for Spiritual Living Dallas, and I was at an event last night with her, and she was talking about her mentee. 
and she said, you know, I could just sense, she this is her talking, she could sense how, you know, rough her life had been and how, um, you know, she didn't really have any clear spiritual program, didn't really have any, you know, uh, mentors along the way that had given her any understanding of, you know, any kind of spirit. Other. And she said, it's interesting how quickly she's grasping this and how much I see a change in her, she said. She was so animated, it's like amazing how this is happening. And, you know, we were commenting on this idea that really when you when you start hearing the truth, you do get hooked in pretty quickly. It is it is kind of transformative in the energy of this woman being around this this mentee, the energy within this woman even is transferring, you know, talking about how energy works and that you know, that that she's spending time each week with her, that that's like an infusion, even even she doesn't even know it. It doesn't even matter what they're talking about. It's this this woman that goes to the church is way, she's such a hugely spiritual person, and, and, you know, I'm infused, and I'm so deeply spiritual, so for me to be infused by her, my goodness, she has to be, like, you know, just barely walking the earth, right? But anyway, she's really got it, right? So this, this mentee being around her energy field is is in and of itself healing, you know, in and of it, you know, like being, you know, being in the presence of a master teacher, that in and of itself is transformative. And she doesn't even have to say a word, right? Right. And so that's a whole different thing. Is that energetic field around us? Is that our mind? Is that our body? That would be our soul, wouldn't it? The energetic field. <laughs> yeah, I love how Tracy really, she thinks through her answers so that she wants to really make sure what she says is what she, you know, really thinks versus... You know, I just say the first thing. <laughs> I, I applaud you for really wanting to think that through before you agree to make sure you really believe that. Well, I have to actually... Don't just, don't just give me a cursory, yeah, that a girl. I was like, I have to think about it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and, yeah, if if we understand the um, the soul to be formless, but it is it is an energy that shifts and changes everything, then absolutely yes. Mm -hmm. That it is receptive to whatever we say we want. Mm -hmm. And that energetic is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And people do connect to the energetic. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's really... And through how my little mind works and how I, you know, the, the messages that I give myself, you know, I can affect that energetic... I can, you know, make it vibrate at a very high level. Or I can be like, you know, stick my head in the sand and not be vibrating at all. Shut it down. Mind, body, and soul. I like the, uh, I like, I like the concept of connecting with, you know, reconnecting with my body, though. That is a, that is a joyous thing. There is, there, you know, there's there's uh, a reason we have a body, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And when we lay this body down, which <laughs> always seems to come too soon, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, so what do we do? I want to be able to say that I said yes to spirit. Yes, mind, body, and soul. Conscious choice. Yes. And so glad that you joined us. If you've been listening in to this episode of Say Yes to Spirit and be able to say that what I did and what you did with your life is that you said yes to spirit. Check out the archives for other topics, other focus points. Um, there are more than 200 <laughs> shows in the archives. There's got to be at least yeah. one or two that, uh, that interest you. And uh, and then join us again on Say Yes to Spirit. <laughs>